Now, when I think of worship of Christ at Christmas, I'm thinking about in your notes a call, a call to respond. See, worship is a call to respond. In other words, when we think of Christmas, there is a call to respond that is the season brings to every single person in the entire world. It is especially true in Christianity that every single member of the church, that there is continually, week after week, a call, a call to respond. And when you read God's Word, you are continually challenged to respond to it. So you cannot hear or read the Bible without a response to it. The Bible is not a book that you read apathetically, simply not react to it in some way. This is especially true at the Christmas season, because Jesus is the reason for the season. When we are faced with Christmas, the whole world stops long enough to think of the birth of Jesus. Now, they may not be too busy. They may not understand the depth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as we do. But still, there is a call to respond during the Christmas season. So I would like you to look at, with me at three things, what I call the three C's of Christmas. The first C of Christmas in your notes, number one, is the circumstances surrounding Christmas. The circumstances surrounding Christmas. Look at Luke 2, verse 11, about a very eventful night of the birth of Jesus. The angel spoke then to the shepherds. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. See, when I read, a Savior has been born to you, my first thoughts focus on the word born. The first of three points concerning these circumstances of Christmas is what I call in your notes the miracle of divine performance. The miracle of divine performance. It's simply that Jesus Christ is born. The supernatural birth of the Son of God becoming human flesh. A baby is born. But the conception of that baby, Jesus, was the supernatural part. It was truly a divine performance. See, we cannot get away from that truth of the Apostles' Creed, especially at Christmas time, because it's the truth around which hinges our eternal salvation. We say in the Creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That means that Jesus was true God and true man. That Jesus was God becoming man in the flesh. Look with me at Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That's the very first promise of a Messiah. It's called a messianic prophecy. God talks about the seed of the woman, an offspring of Eve, that will one day destroy, would crush the devil's work. See, Jesus, that seed would crush Satan's head. Satan would strike Jesus' heel in his death on Good Friday. That promise was fulfilled in the very Son of God. Look at Luke 1, verse 35, where the angel answered to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, when we think of Christmas... We have a tendency to get homesick. This is true especially if we're away from our own families. Many of you have your families home for Christmas. Some of you are going to your homes during the Christmas holidays. 
Could it be? Could it be that Jesus, at his very birth, that first Christmas, he was also homesick? Think about it. Jesus, homesick for heaven. For the first time, Jesus takes upon himself all the limitations of humanity, all of our sin. He is not with God the Father. He's not with the Holy Spirit. He's not with the whole heavenly angels. Think about this. Jesus came into this world homesick from birth, but he suffered and died on the cross so that we who are separated from our families at Christmas may have his abiding peace, have his presence, a sense of belonging to God's eternal family, regardless of where we are. Jesus came to make us who are separated from God because of sin, to make us part of God's family once again through our faith in Jesus. That's the miracle of divine performance. Number two in your notes, the second miracle is the miracle of divine providence. With Christmas, we have the miracle of divine performance. Number two, the miracle of divine providence. We read again, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. See, it's God's providence. It's in God's timing. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, town of David. What brings this Christ child to that specific spot at that specific time? It was for the very first time, the very first census in the history of the entire Roman Empire. There was a decree that all citizens were to go to their hometown, be registered. So we see Mary, in spite of her physical condition, under this miracle of divine providence, going back to her roots. I don't think that Caesar, the Roman emperor, had any idea that he was playing into the very hands of a sovereign God, but he was. Truly, the miracle of divine providence. Third miracle surrounding Christmas in your notes. Number three, the miracle of divine prophecy. So we have the miracle of divine performance. Number two, the miracle of divine providence. And number three, the miracle of divine prophecy. We hear the fulfillment of the prophecy in the Christmas story. We know, reference specifically to Bethlehem, the town of David. See, there are some 333 prophecies in the Old Testament. Many of them are actually fulfilled at the very birth of Jesus. Prophecies given hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus are now fulfilled. Look at Micah 5, verse 2. This prophecy says that Christ will be born where? In Bethlehem. This prophecy 700 years before the birth of Christ is now fulfilled. But you have Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, it is certainly amazing <clears throat> that the prophet Micah <clears throat> identifies four, thing, <clears throat> four things in this prophecy. In your notes, at a time in ancient world, there were known, three known continents. There were Europe, Asia, and Africa. And of these three, number one in your notes, Asia is picked. <clears throat> Micah identifies Asia from the three continents in the known world. But in Asia, there are many, many countries. So number two, Micah identifies the country of Palestine. 
Palestine is one small country of many. But in the region of Palestine, there are three districts, Judea, Galilee, Samaria. So some 700 years before Christ, Micah also identifies in your notes number three, Judea, as one of the three districts of Palestine in which this promised Messiah is to be born. But still, within that district, there are many small towns. Micah number four in your notes identifies Bethlehem as one of the small towns for the birth of Jesus. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Can you imagine the chances of anyone calculating where the Christ would be born 700 years before out of all the continents, out of all the countries, out of all the districts, out of, the, out of all the small towns. This must be actually a miracle. Yes, the miracle of divine prophecy directing Jesus' birth. Three circumstances surrounding Christmas. The miracle of divine performance. The miracle of divine providence. The miracle of divine prophecy. So in your notes, the second C, the second C of Christmas, number two, is the crime of Christmas. First, the circumstances surrounding Christmas. Secondly, the crime of Christmas. On the back of your notes, look with me at Luke 2, verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We want to know in your notes, three sins, three sins of Christmas. Three sins of Christmas, number one. Number one is the sin of woeful ignorance. The sin of woeful ignorance. As we look at this story, the innkeeper is woefully ignorant about this tremendous event. See, the same God who rewarded the seeking of the wise men, that same God who have rewarded the innkeeper too, you find what you're looking for. Could it be that the innkeeper did not understand? He did not observe this tremendous event because he simply was not looking for the Christ child. And many today are caught up in the glitter of Christmas gifts, also are woefully ignorant, are not looking either for the Christ child. The first sin is simply a woeful sin of ignorance. The innkeeper ignored the birth. Number two, the second sin is the sin of woeful indifference. The sin of woeful indifference. So you have the ignorance and then you had indifference. Even if the innkeeper was not looking for Christ, he could have observed that she was pregnant, that she was great with child. It seems he had real indifference, not to manage in some way, a room for Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Number three, the third sin concerning the crimes of Christmas. In your notes, number three is the sin of woeful involvement. The sin of woeful and worldly involvement. The innkeeper may well have noticed Mary and Joseph were wearing poor clothing. They were very poor. What could have happened differently if Mary and Joseph would have pulled out gold coins needed to cost of the first class room? The innkeeper was involved in his business, so he missed out on the spiritual needs facing him, but could not come the crime of worldly involvement. Could not that crime also be applied to our own Christmas season? Sometimes we're so wrapped up, 
so wrapped up in worldly involvement that we don't sense the true meaning of Christmas. So the circumstances of Christmas, the three crimes of Christmas, and number three, the third C of Christmas is the claim of Christmas. This is the claim of Christmas, also from verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The shepherds responded. Look at Luke 2.16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. This angelic announcement gives to us a picture of what Christ is claiming also in our lives. There are three claims that I would like to note. First of all, number one in your notes, a saving claim upon your life. There is a saving claim because the Bible says a Savior is born. The word Savior tells us that there is a saving and redeeming claim upon your life at Christmas time. When the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So today we worship the Christ of Christmas. We do not need a message of what we must be doing or what we must be thinking in order to be saved. Rather, you and I need a message about a Savior, what God has already done to save us from our sin and the death and the eternal separation from God. See, a drowning man, he does not need another message on water safety, certainly not for someone to simply listen to him for his cries for help either. He needs a Savior. And that's exactly where we are at. Because without Jesus, we are drowning. We are lost in sin. So the first claim of Christmas is a saving claim of Christ, the Savior upon our, our lives. Number two, the second claim of Christmas in your notes is a spiritual claim upon your life. See, the angel's message, a Savior is born, he is Christ the Lord. Look at Luke 4, verse 18. From your notes, please read it with me together out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. See, in your notes, Christ was the anointed prophet, our prophet, priest, and king. Christ means anointed. It means the promised one. He is anointed and he is sent by God. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah. At Christmas time, there is that spiritual claim upon your life that Jesus Christ frees you and me from the captivity of our sin. As our prophet, our priest, and our king, Jesus gives to you a peace that you do not have on your own. So number one, Christmas offers a saving claim. Number two, a spiritual claim. And number three, in your notes, Christmas offers a sovereign claim claim upon your life, a sovereign claim upon your life at Christmas. When the angel said, he is Christ the Lord, Jesus is Christ the Lord, he is the master. A sovereign Lord invites you to become his servant. You have been enlisted into the gracious, forgiving, and loving family of God. Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. So in conclusion, let me ask you a final question. What is it going to take to bring lasting peace in our world today? What is it going to take to bring lasting peace to our own nation? During Christmas, we hear everybody praying for peace, for singing. Let, let there be peace on earth, we sing. People are seeking peace and joy. So we ask, what is it going to take 
to set this world right. There's only one thing that will set the world right. As we worship Christ at Christmas, the claim of Jesus Christ must begin with your heart, with your life and mine. Jesus wants to be your Savior. Jesus wants to be your anointed prophet, priest, and king. Jesus wants to rule as Lord in your heart this Christmas. So let's conclude with reading together, boldly proclaiming the claims of Jesus in the words of joy to the world. Printed together out loud. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive its king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing. Amen.